The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Meg, very much. As always, Meg, you do a great job. Thank you so much as we go. Well, I invite your attention to uh, Mark chapter 7 this morning, Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 24. And uh, we're actually going to be on page 843. If you don't have your Bible with you, you have the Pew Bibles, 843. Uh, That might be a different number in your Bible, but at least in the Pew Bible, that's what we have this morning as it's 843. And I want to let you know as well that uh, at the close of service, and it's in your bulletin, we're going to take just a brief moment to honor and pray over Nathaniel King, who is uh, one of our seminary students here. Uh, He was voted in, and he passed a licensure, which sounds really, well, it sounds really big. It is. He did a great job before our deacons and some other ordained men of our church, and he passed. It was voted on a couple weeks ago. So we're going to honor him to, to be licensed to the ministry. Uh, you pray for Nathaniel. He's applying at churches in the Northeast, on the Moon, in the Southwest, about anywhere where God leads, he will go as God leads. So you pray for him. Pray for Aaron. They graduate this Friday from seminary. If you want to go, 10 o'clock at the seminary, it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you're bored on Friday and you want to come hear a good message, go out. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be good to see them. Well, you find your way uh, to, to Mark chapter 7. Uh, so this week is the Syrophoenician woman, to let you know, and next week we look at another episode as we close out uh, the chapter 7 of Mark. And in two weeks, uh, Brother John Moody is going to be preaching over Mark number 5 of the Healthy Church Evangelism. I just want to encourage you. Uh, I know there's been, uh, you know, just 
Darren's not preaching. I, I might not be like, show up, be here. These are men of God that are preaching. What a blessing it is to have men in our church who can preach and share the gospel, and one of them who's lived it overseas. You come hear the message of Christ as it is, amen, and, and grow. Because trust me, you don't always need to hear from me directly. Sometimes God can use other people. Trust, I know that for sure. My wife wakes me up all the time and speaks more truth to me sometimes than I get out of study. That's how it works. Praise God for godly wise. Can you tell I've been up since 1230? Is it showing? It's been, I've, you know, let me just say this before I get going with this. This is, uh, God wakes you up and you don't go back to sleep. So if I've got more energy than usual, just, just get your ears ready, all right? So here we go. Mark chapter 7, as we do. Well, uh, you know, it is that time where people are starting to say, I am a Christian. It's, a, it's encouraging across this nation that people are starting to stand up and say, I am a Christian. And if you are part of that Christian crowd for any number of years, you know some different particular, uh, particular things that Christians do that may make you laugh here. So just listen to this. How do you know that someone is a Christian? This is not theological. This is practical. Are you ready? They read bumper stickers and church signs and try and come up with better phrases. Come on. You read those all the time. When they argue with their spouse, it's about which side of the trunk to put that fish on the back of their car. That's how you know someone's a Christian, right? Or when they, they're dri- when they think they're driving under the influence, it's really when they're listening to their favorite worship set in the car. Some of you, that's going to sink in later, let me say. Or they have a zipper on the Bible cover because it sets off, the zipper on the Bible cover is so thick it sets off security at TSA. Or when they hit their thumb with a hammer, they say, praise the Lord. That's how you really know someone is a Christian. Or they name their daughters Faith, Hope, and Charity. That's really when you know they've crossed the line. And they don't swear, they don't lie, and they certainly don't tip well after service on Sunday mornings. Oh, the pastor had to throw that one in. It is there. So is this really what a Christian is? I mean, is this really what a believer is? I mean, seems that they're more quiet and unassuming, but if you're, what, what, I mean, what separates us as Christians? Well, according to Purdue University, of about 15 years ago, active church members are more likely to be separated by being overweight than other folks. Oh, my. And that, quoting here, how do you know you're a Christian? Purdue University says, quote, many firm believers do not have firm bodies. I'll let that one sink in, too. And the honors for the heaviest group is the Southern Baptist Convention. Amen. Because we love our potlucks. Wow. So, hello, I'm a Christian. All these things, right? On the whole, it seems religious believers don't deviate from the norm by too much because I bet you you could find a lot of these things are true across the board. But at the end of the day, it's surprising who does and who does not believe. Finally, it seems there are Christians different from their possession of true faith by their actions. Isn't this what Jesus said in Matthew 7? I'm going to quote the old King James here as I think it really emphasizes this. Ye shall know them by their fruits. How do you know you're a Christian? It's not because of those silly things I mentioned, maybe in part, but ultimately it's because you are showing fruit that you know Jesus. You don't expect an apple tree to produce oranges. That would be a little awkward and a little weird. So we are going to learn from a woman who is a pagan, Gentile, shouldn't even be in the Bible kind of person today that doesn't fit any of these molds, but she can put that sign up that says, hey, I'm a Christian. Jesus even calls her a dog. Whoa. Wow. Can you say that from the pulpit? Well, Jesus said it. 
So I guess so. But we would have assumed that those who could say, I'm a believer in Jesus are those who go to church all the time, who do this, who do that. But really what we're going to see is this woman has great faith, so much faith she breaks all the norms of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And we will see from this woman that she is outside the normal purview of what it means to be a religious person. And that should be good news for us today. Because all of us, if we're really honest, are not really in the purview of a lot of things. We're all sitting on the outside of popular culture. And all of us are very weak. And there are those among us who've never risen to the activity of those in front of the scenes who will look at this woman and say, wow, she's never up front. But when she sees Jesus, her faith just comes out and shines. Maybe you're like this woman today who has been in the shadows of the workings of God that God is going to draw out. And friends, this is from the way that God works in the story. You will find great encouragement. And that's why we preach ver- or chunk by chunk, verse by verse. Because some of these stories are stories you may have heard once a time, but you may have forgotten along the same time. So today, from the way you talk about your faith, do people get the impression that Jesus is great in your life? Or are you the great one? How many of your choices today will not be like this woman that will be made in fear and not in the faith of the one who rules all things? Here's the big idea today. And if you're not a a, a regular, uh, the big idea is just kind of the thesis of the thing. If Jesus calls you a dog, because he does, don't get mad. Simply ask for crumbs and suddenly you'll have the inheritance of sons. And we'll get to that. Look, the goal of the Christian faith isn't to prove how strong your faith is. It is to acknowledge your weakness and run to your Redeemer. That's what it's all about. Our hearts are fickle, our faith is weak, but God is faithful and His grace is strong. And it's not something that is a consumer faith. It is a participant's faith. It's not for spiritual shoppers, but thankful worshipers. And so today, three ways God responds to persistent requests. This woman is like that kid who can't take no for an answer. Her name is Scarlett. She lives in our house. That's what it is. And she is got, God has great plans for that young lady because she is persistent. Three ways God responds to persistent requests. And it's not the normal, hey, I'm a Christian way. God knows your heart. God tests your faith. And God meets your need. Remember, Jesus is coming off of the heels of this big debate the last couple weeks about truth and tradition, about what is good, what is bad. And he told us last week that everything bad is not outside of us. It's not our neighbors. It's not what psychologists call your environment. It is within you. And with that, God knows your heart, and he knows this woman is as sinful as sinful could be, but yet she shows great How do you know you're a Christian? There's a lot of ways. Read the book of 1 John. But one challenging way that we're going to look at is how Jesus responds to this woman's faith. Let me be very clear here. We're not to model ourselves necessarily about this woman, but we want to see how she responds and how Christ in his character responds. So with that in mind, if you're able this morning, I know we have a lot of little ones in here, and that's a blessing. But if you all are able to stand for the reading in honor of God's word, would you join me as we read Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. And uh, just a reminder, your, your titles in your Bible, as well as your numbers, are not inspired. Those weren't in the original, but your title may say, The Syrophoenician Woman's Faith. Say that five times fast. Verse 24. 
And from there he, that's Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet, uh, yet, yet so he could be hidden. But immediately, and I remember that's Mark's favorite word, but immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus said to her, verse 29, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. Wow. What great faith that is. We'll get into that today. Will you pray with me as we start? Father, we're going to look at something that isn't your typical person. This is a, a believer as it is, as we know she is. She acknowledges your son as being Lord, and we don't know at what point she was converted, but clearly at some point, Lord, she understood who you were, and, and you granted that. So, Father, we pray this morning as we look at her faith and her story that it's not just to model after her, but, Father, as we look at her and how she responded, we learn more about you, and there we learn to respond accordingly and correctly. Father, burst bubbles today in our faith if we have gotten to such a rigid view of what church should be, who should be here, and what is allowed, that, Father, that we forget that, Lord, you often were out of the box, but completely consistent with Scripture and completely consistent with your character. Let those two marry today, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, this is a very, very interesting passage, and, and, and I want you to know that, uh, number one, that first off, God knows your heart. God knows your heart. You'll see there in verse 24 that Jesus is doing what you've seen him do many times if you've been with us through the study. He's withdrawing. He's not just going somewhere for a few, uh, a few days. He's going 40 miles away. In our terms, that would be like from Kansas City to Cameron, Missouri. He's getting out of Dodge. He's going away, and he's getting out. And there's a parallel passage, and we won't read it, but Matthew 15 tells a little more detail about this story. And Matthew 15, 21 says he's withdrawing. He's trying to get away in his humanity. 100% God, Jesus is 100% man. He's trying to get away from the pressures of ministry. Can you imagine that scene we just came out of where people are, the religious leaders are getting mad, all these things are happening, and how many times have we read that he just wants to get alone and be restful, to get away? And, and by the time he arrives, guess what's waiting for him? Guess what? Jesus, you can't be incognito. He knows this, but there's a crowd waiting for him. And he leaves Israel proper. This is probably the first time that we have that he left since his childhood. You remember the story, don't you? The, the Christmas story, although it's uh, apical for all time. He escaped with his parents, of course, Joseph and Mary, to Egypt before Herod the Great could, could overtake him. And he goes to this area called Tyre. That's T-Y-R-E, Tyre, like a tire, you would say. And it's all the way on the Mediterranean Sea. And Lord and Maisel, if we had class, I was going to ask you, have you guys been to Tyre before? You guys have traveled? Maisel, they're shaking their head, no, I know they've traveled over there. But it's about a 40-mile journey north and to the west. And this is Gentile country. Remember, Jesus is a Jew. He's been speaking to Jews, and now he's going to the other side of the tracks. He's going, if you're a Chiefs fan, into the Oakland Raiders Coliseum. 
or whatever you want to throw at it. Much more deep than that, I can promise you. But he's waiting for the pressure to die down, and he goes to a famous place. Tyre was very famous as Israel. They were ones who formed allegiances with David and Solomon, and he gave them timber. They did back many hundreds of years before Christ to build the temple. They had skilled craftsmen that they sent their way. But Psalm 87 verse 4 tells us that the Messiah would bless Tyre and would bless the people of Tyre someday when he came. So it looks like Jesus is escaping. He's actually got, as he does always, a plan in mind. He's fulfilling his own prophecy. And all these people came to hear about him. And you notice there in verse 24, it tells you he went away. And you notice what Mark says there. It's a very curious statement. He says, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. You ever remember those days? I did not grow up here. Some of you all did, and it's okay. But some of you ladies, were, were you into Beatlemania back in the 60s? When the Beatles were up, you were one of those things you see on TV. Ah, the Beatles! Woo-woo! And everywhere they went, you were there. Maybe not. your church people. I don't know how that works, but it is what it is. But that's what it was like. Wherever he went, they could not get away from it. And Andy, I don't know if our, our screen is working, but uh, if you want to, yep, there it is. But friends, if I have a small heart for the nations, then I, need a big, then I need a bigger heart for Jesus. And that's the first point I want you to see. Because Jesus is not just going to preach to one group of people, one race of people, one ethnicity of people. He is taking the gospel to all nations. And isn't that what it's all about? I ran a demographic survey of our area up here one mile from the church, and we are 95% Caucasian with a little spattering of things. Can you imagine if Jesus only spoke to, to white people or to black people or to Asian people? That would exclude most of everyone else in this whole world, depending on what part of the world you lived in. Friends, we rub shoulders with different people all the time. And I love that Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to stick to this geographical region because that's my safe zone and I'm not going to get out of it. Some of us have to be challenged with that fact, that our Lord goes to people who are different than himself. The Savior's not just for one nation. He's for all nations, and so we should be as well. But you see there in verse 25, he not only goes away, but he knows the heart of these people. You, know, you see that, he, that, that here it says in verse 25, a woman whose daughter, we don't know this woman's name. We don't know how far she traveled. You can imagine if she traveled any distance at all that she was walking in areas that were not safe. We don't know if she's still married, if her husband has died, if she's divorced. We have no background information. But one thing we do know is this is a mama whose daughter is sick. And mamas, you know this, you'll do anything to get your kid better, won't you? This mama was willing to go and break the cultural stereotypes like Jesus was to see if he could heal her daughter. Her daughter was demon-possessed. Her daughter had an unclean spirit. Now, we've talked about this before at various times. Do demons still exist today? Yes. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? No. Can a demon still possess a non-Christian? Yes. Do we see it all the time in America? No, we don't, because I think in our minds we say, oh, that's just old ancient stuff. Friends, I think it happens more than we know. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to remind you that these are real things that still happen today. And this woman has probably prayed to her pagan gods. She, she now falls at the feet of Jesus, and, and that is a point of humility that you see here. Her life 
has a way of crushing her and bringing her to Jesus. Her life causes her to go to the Lord, and you've been there too. When the trials are all around you, you just simply say, Lord, I got nothing. It's all in your hands, or, or, or I, I, I've got nothing. But she comes, and she falls down with reverence, with helplessness and hopelessness. But yet, even with that, she looks at her daughter, and she says, who can cure this person? No one can. But she hears about Jesus, and she goes. And friends, if I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but that is where each of us need to be. We need to be at the feet of Jesus, whether it's a big thing, a small thing we can handle. We take it all to the Lord. In everything, by prayer and petition, submit your request, make them known unto God. And that is the second application point Andy will put up there. To set at the feet of Jesus is the invitation for the lowliest sinner and the privilege for the most glorified saint. Do you think Jesus didn't know what was going on in this lady's heart? Of course he did. Jesus, it says in John, that he did not entrust himself to people because he knew what was in people. He just told us in the last chapter that, that, that sin doesn't come from outside, it comes from the heart. But yet through that messiness, God is using her trial to pull the rug out from her so she can only go to Jesus. Don't you love when God does that in your life? Amen? Amen, that's right. When God pulls the rug out for under you, you, if you're honest, you'll barely say amen. You'll say, Lord, what, what in the world are you up to? How dare you do whatever? But this woman doesn't seem to mind in the sense that she is so focused on getting her daughter healed, whatever it takes, whoever it takes, bring it on. I want it. Give it to me. And she finds her way to Jesus. You notice there in verse 26 that it, it describes a little more about her. It says, now the woman was a Gentile. Uh, just for sake of clarification, the Gentiles were Greek-speaking. They were pagan. They did not believe in the one true God. Of course, they had millions of gods, perhaps. And she was raised in Greek culture. And she was Syrophoenician. Doesn't that just sound cool? She was Syrophoenician. And Deuteronomy 7 says that this is part of the old Canaanite race. This is part of an old nemesis of the Israelites that God told them to destroy because of their sinfulness, and it did not completely happen. Isn't it amazing that when sin, when you don't follow through with something, how God can redeem it in someone else's life some 1,800 years later? And you notice there, it says what she did. She, it tells a little bit about her, and, and it says she begged him. Your, your verse may say there in verse 26, and she continued to plead with him. The verb tense here is one that indicates she, keep at, she kept asking, but she got more and more desperate. And, and Matthew 15 says that she just kept asking and asking and asking. And, and the woman would walk on hot coals because her kid needed help. And in Matthew 15, 21, she says, have mercy on me, son of David. Look, she came to the right person, Jesus, she came on the right basis, mercy. She gave the right request, cast out the demon, and she came with the right persistence. She kept on asking. What a challenge to your prayer life in 21st century America, isn't it? Well, Lord, I prayed about that. Oh, yeah, how long did you pray? Well, it was between the, the, the ordering at McDonald's, and I gave her my credit card, and I got my... You prayed for 20 seconds? Well, depending on your McDonald's, it's more like 20 minutes, but it is what it is. 
But friends, this is a call for us. God knows your heart. He sells us that in the last part of the chapter. He knows this lady's heart. And, and wouldn't it be of him just to say, right there, right then, hey, your daughter has been healed. But she is teaching, Jesus is teaching this lady the persistence of prayer. Luke 18.1 reminds us that Jesus told them a parable to pray and never give up. Are there people in your life that you know need Jesus that you have shared the gospel with so many times that you just don't see any fruit? Are there things you've prayed for in your family to change, to be more Christ-like that you keep praying for and you don't see any fruit? Are there people, fill in the situation. Can this lady, God knows your heart, can she give you the encouragement today through her situation as desperate as it was that she kept on praying? Church, I'm going to challenge us with something. I, I, I'm going to put these out. They're outside. I, I, I've been working on these for about three years, but I'll make it more public. I've got an application grid here. It talks about it's different ways you can apply all these things to, to, to the non-Christian, the public, Christ, unity, work, marriage, family, Christians, and your local church. You can pick this up afterwards. But one thing as I was filling out all these different brackets of how this applies is just how little, how little prayer comes in most of our decisions as Christians. Do you agree with that? Maybe you do pray more often than not, but how often have you labored before God and said, God, whatever you want from me, teach me. But I prayed, Pastor, but have you kept praying? Has God told you a clear no yet? Has He told you a clear wait yet? Has He told you a clear yes yet? What is the purpose of prayer? Really, what is it? The purpose of prayer is not to change God's will. The purpose of prayer is to get to know the God who wills all things so that we can follow Him as we do. It changes you, doesn't it? Prayer changes you. And this woman was absolutely changed by praying and pleading with Jesus. Can you just see the picture? Her daughter is sick. She's desperate. She pleads. Even in Matthew 15, you'll see the disciples like, Jesus, you want to take this woman out? You know, get the security guards and throw her out on the street. You know, that's where they're at. But she keeps praying, and she keeps praying, and she keeps praying. And this is what's going to happen next. Secondly, God not only knows your heart, but secondly, God tests your faith. Look at verse 27. Let's see what happens to her. Jesus gives a very strange reply in verse 27. He says, and he, as Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's interesting. I mean, if you came to me after service and I gave you, I gave the response that said, you're a dog, um, I probably wouldn't have a job past 1 o'clock today, right? But it's impossible to build a fence around our Lord. It's impossible. A canned approach doesn't always cut it. There are times that Jesus just does what He does. He said it to her. Uh, Matthew 15 records that Jesus didn't even answer her. The more she pled, the more He didn't seem to care. He just kind of did His thing. I mean, if someone's pleading with you, it seems so heartless. Jesus, what are you doing? This lady's daughter is sick. Why are you, don't you just cure her right now? I mean, if she believes hard enough, Jesus, I mean, doesn't that mean she gets it right away? And the disciples again said, can you just send her away? But Jesus says in Matthew 15, 24, the parallel account, that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You see that in verse 27. These children refers to Israel. And in Matthew 15, Jesus uh, she says, help me, help me. So what does this mean? 
Jesus gives a picture of a traditional Jewish family here. There are two words for dog in the Greek, and I don't even get all that Greeky geeky stuff, but this one means a house pet. This is not a rabid dog that he's speaking of. He's speaking of a house pet. The picture Jesus paints is this. When you all sit down in that culture, you don't feed the dogs first, except in America, right? If you have a dog, you do that all the time. No sane person in those days would elevate a dog to the place of prominence within their family. When it hit the crowd, the, when it hits the crowd, the dog can go just for the leftovers when the crumbs start to fall. And what Jesus is saying to her, she says, Lady, I came first for the nation of Israel, the Jews. How do we know this? Matthew 10.5 says that he was sent to Israel first. Acts 1.8, that famous passage you know, I will, you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world. It started in Israel like a pebble going out. And Romans 1.16 says the gospel is to the Jew first and then the Greek. Well, pastor, what does all this mean? It means that Jesus was testing her faith. Jesus was looking at her situation. He, she knew, he knew her heart. He knew what she was going through, but he intentionally puts her off to build her up, to build her perseverance, to build her strength, to press on after her. He meant to teach her theology and build upon her faith. You've been there too. You've been in situations where you looked at that situation and said, there ain't no way, God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go through that. I'm going to go with that. God, you give me my answer now or I'm done. Now, you may take a five-minute think-a-break about that, but really that's what you communicate because life comes at you so hard. happens all the time. Why doesn't God just answer her prayer? Why doesn't he just get on with it? Because God likes to keep showing up in fellowship. He likes to keep teaching us more about him. He tests our faith. But notice verse 28, how strong her faith is. Guys, she's quick on her feet. A lot of you ladies in here remind me of these. Uh, Linda Taylor, I thought of you because you are witty. I don't know if Linda's in here, but uh, Linda, you are Miss Witty, and you are quick on your feet. This is exactly what I thought of because uh, she always got a good response. But here it is. This is not Peter's, may it never be, Lord. She says, yes, Lord. But wait, she was just called a dog. I mean, are you really going to agree with this person if you just called a derogatory name? But notice what she says, verse 28. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat under the table, eat the children's crumbs. Look, she recognizes Jesus' supreme authority. She is quick on her feet. She's not willing to say, well, I guess it's not God's will. She's persistent. She wants that daughter healed now, and she will stop at nothing to get it. She's not going to say, God, if you, if you desire that, that's great. She's willing to be called a dog for the sake of her daughter. She says, Jesus, I rejoice that you're the master, and I'm in your house, and if you're the master and you're taking care of me, I will take your crumbs over the world's goods any day, Jesus. Bring it on. Let me give you ten quick words, and I mean they'll be quick. And, Andy, these are one at a time, bullet style. We'll put them up one at a time. Ten quick ways that describe this woman's faith and how we should be challenged by it. First, she is absolutely humble, number one. She is ready to assume the position of a dog if that is what God has for her. Isn't it true that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble? Dog is outside uh, of Jesus in that sense. Number two, she is persistent. She is absolutely persistent. She won't let it go. 
Come on, you all have someone like this in your life, amen? You can't say amen, you got to say ouch, right? Because you all have someone like this. You do. Maybe you're this way. You won't take no for an answer. You just keep drilling and drilling and drilling and drilling like a heavyweight fighter who just won't go down. Even when the Lord slams the door, she keeps yelling through the keyhole. She says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We give up so easily in prayer, guys, so easily. Do you want to see Tower View Baptist Church changed for the glory of God? Then you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. Do you want to see this neighborhood, Gracemore, Clay Como, Maple Park, Randolph, I haven't been through Randolph in a while, but Randolph changed and you pray, you pray, you pray, you pray. And she's positive about it. Can you take that for what it is? She keeps, she's taking the negative into a positive. And I don't mean that in some faith healer, TV preacher sort of jumbo gumbo stuff. She says, even the dogs, at least the dogs get scraps. At least I get something here. Number four, she's submissive. She's entering in, into a conversion experience. She's not demanding the Lord. She's willing to take whatever you get. Isn't that what we try and teach our kids? You should be grateful that you have food on your plate because there's someone out in Africa who's going to starve. All right, how many of you have taken that food and gone to Africa with that food before, you know? You, anyway, we'll let that be what it is. But whatever she gets, she's okay with. This is the response of Job. The Lord blesseth and the Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord, Job 121. She trusts, number five. She is re- This kind of seems like number four, but a little bit different. She's ready to receive whatever Jesus says is best. What if Jesus told our church that we had to get down again to five people for this church to be on fire for Jesus Christ? Would you do it? Serious question. What if Jesus absolutely set this place on fire, literally, and we lost our building, we lost all the heritage that was here, would we give up? We wouldn't. But how easily we get there. Thinking through a lot of these things, because how easily in church we say, well, boy, didn't work right now, we're done. Friends, be persistent. She was willing to trust whatever Jesus gave her. There are seasons in churches, there are seasons in your life, but God has promised you that no matter what you are going through, your good is not His good at all times, but His good is the best good that you could have in your world at all times. And she is living by this very creed. Six, number six, she's persuasive. She's not just going through the motions like a rosary or a Lord's Prayer or, or Jesus, hey, She is begging the Lord and persuading him on the basis of his own words. Wait, but Darren, God is sovereign. Yes. And she's pleading with him. Yes. What's the problem? There is no problem. You want to be effective in prayer? Then pray the Lord's word back to him. If your prayer life is dull, take out your Bible and just start reading. I appreciate our Pastor Nelson who does this often when he prays. You, you won't notice this because your eyes are closed, but he'll open up his Bible and he'll read and he'll try and change all the pronouns really quick to make it sound like the group. He does a really good job at it, by the way. Pray the Word of God back to God. She's playing off the Word of God. Number seven, she is selfless. She's not asking this for herself. She's asking for her kid. She's an intercessor, prayer warrior. I'm going to jump through these quickly, but she's number eight. She is Christ focus. Let me be very clear here. She is not praying to a pastor. She's not praying to the Virgin Mary. She's not praying to the Pope or, or the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. She is going straight to the source who alone can meet her need, who alone is able to do this. Number nine, she's discerning in prayer. 
she recognizes there is a warfare going all around her. She's seen it in her daughter. There's something that has taken over her daughter, literally, but she has the insight and believes in a real devil with real demons. Let me just poke this out there. The devil is not walking around with a pitchfork in hell waiting to poke you when you get down there, or, or not when you, sorry, whatever, not when someone gets down there. You know, are you awake yet? Friends, there's one, way to, there's one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, forgive me. I've been up since midnight. It is what it is. But she believes in a real Satan, doesn't she? Because she sees it. This is what Ephesians 6 reminds us of, that we war not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers that are not in our area. The only those who reject Jesus, and we preach on this, those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit, who say, Jesus, I want nothing to do with you, are those who God will send the opposite way to hell. Fully just, fully loving, fully perfect as that is. And she's prompt, number 10. She is prompt. There is no procrastination in this lady. She goes down the road, but only desperate people pray like this. Only desperate people look at the situation and say, only God can change this. She's praying this yesterday, not tomorrow. She's bringing it now because her need is so great. And that's where we leave her. God is testing her faith, and through all this, even through these words, this is the faith that she has. What a slap in the face of every American pastor and every American church, because if we can't do it ourselves, then no one can do it. If we can't, think, th- if we can't thunk it up ourselves, then ain't no one going to finish it. But God says, I am bigger than that. God says, I am more able to do that. All things consistent with His Word, all things consistent with His will, yes and yes, but pray big, guys, that God would use whatever situation it is for His glory, for your good, and for people to hear the gospel in your life. And you'll be amazed how He answers this prayer. So God not only knew her heart, knows your heart, not only tests your faith, knew her faith, but finally, God meets her need. And this is the shortest point, I promise, and we'll end with this. But look back at verse 29. And he said to her, first, I want you to notice this. He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't say, oh, your theology is just a little bit off. If you just cross this T, you know, and dot this I, I'll answer your prayer. New believer as she is, Jesus says, for this statement, what statement? Everything she just said, Jesus affirms. Everything she just quoted to him, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. I mean, think about this. What courage it would take. Because notice what she does, verse 30. And she went home. And and the verb tense there, if you want to get greeky geeky with it, she went right away home to find the child. I don't know about you. But we're Americans. We're, we live in the show-me state, don't we? Show me the money. You know, that's, a, that's that old quote. Show it what it is. Jesus, no, I don't, I'm not going to take your word for it. you got to come with me, man. Let's go. Jesus, you got to come with me and do that thing that you do because I'm not sure this is going to work. She doesn't do that. How often we say that. God, if you would just answer this prayer, I'd believe in you. God, if you would just you do this, then I would believe in you. That's not biblical faith. That's biblical hocus-pocus is what it is. And she doesn't believe in hocus-pocus. She believes in the God who's able to cast out demons, who no demon can move an inch without God's permission, 
and only she can see that this is what it is. Can you imagine? She's probably traveled a long way, dangerous as it is, and she goes back and found the child, it says, lying in bed and the demon gone. Wow. Reminds you of the centurion, doesn't it? In John, I believe it's John chapter 5. John chapter 4, John chapter 5, the, 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 the ruler who came out whose son was sick. And he came out and Jesus said, go, your son is healed. And his servants meet him halfway there. You remember the story, don't you? And, they, and, and the man asked the servants, well, at what time was, did he get better? And the servants told him at this time yesterday. And the man thought to himself, that's the exact same moment, exact same time that God said that that would happen. Guys, our timing is not God's timing. Often our timing is so different that we go back and we think, God, where are you? But going back home was a step of faith. She had to let him go and see. She ran into that. Can you see the scene? She ran into that room, usually a one-room house in those days, busted in there, and she is free from the demon, and she has a miracle she so desperately needed in Jesus just like that what faith it took. Friends, we can stop worrying, and Andy will put this up. You can stop worrying. God's supply is greater than every one of your needs. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how much more will he not give us all things? Romans 8. You can stop worrying. Look, this doesn't mean we just throw everything to the wind. I would love it. You know, wouldn't that be nice? Stop worrying. You know, just go home, kick back a little bit. It's going to be a nice day today. Never have to go to work again. Wouldn't that be nice? And you just show up and, and, and everything's taken care of. You know, someone makes a gourmet meal for you, cleans the kitchen, changes diapers, you know, does all that great stuff. That's not what we're suggesting. What we are suggesting is there is a real faith, a biblical faith, that trust not in hope for hope's sake, but trust in the character of God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I, you can be content because I am with you always wherever you go. That's the faith this lady had. And friends, as a church, this applies to us greatly because it, it reminds us of things. There are seasons of life in, in the cycle of the church that are more difficult than others. We're in one of those right now as we are looking at things, talking and discussing prayerfully in a Christ-like way, we don't have all the answers right now to everything, but God does. We don't have all the situations solved right now, but our Lord does if we're faithful to follow Him. And I want to remind us here as we close that in Christ, the walls of age, ethnicity, gender, or social standing are knocked away. This lady was an outsider. She didn't fit the mold. She was different. And let me say it to all of us here today, we were all different. We were all sinners. If you're not a Christian here today, how weird that sounds. I mean, guys, really, what brings us all together on a Sunday morning? Some of y'all, you would be out gardening right now if you could. It's beautiful outside. Some of y'all would be at the shooting range. Some of y'all would be eating your bonbons, which we still haven't figured out what those were from last week. But what draws us all together is not those superficial things. What draws us all together, red, yellow, black, and white, different ages, different socioeconomic classes, is the fact that this woman shows us that Christ breaks down those walls. And what a great thing that is. I'm grateful for that. True faith doesn't trust Jesus perfectly, but when it does trust, it says yes to whatever Jesus brings its way. That's what this is. Look, if Jesus calls you a dog, and, and he may, 
he may rebuke you in your sin to such a level. If you get a crumb from his table, that's worth more gold than anything else. The Powerball, I don't even know what else is out there. Is there I'm sure there's other things. Please don't tell me. That's not good to tell the pastor. But the Powerball and all this other stuff, that's better than any jackpot at Ameristar. That's better than anything. One crumb of faith of grace from the Lord's table is worth more than anything this world could ever give you. What is it that you're trusting in today? Will you pray with me as we close? Father, as we come before you, we see this woman who, some, Father, you know, just quite frankly, there's too much to put in, but Father, some people, some very liberal pastors have said this was Jesus being very racist and all this stuff. Father, none of it. Father, we thank you that there is no wall that you cannot break down for people to come to Christ whether they've had a bad past, a good past in human eyes, whether, Father, I pray that you open up here today the truth of the gospel for those without Christ, for those with Christ, that we see that it's only in your Son we find satisfaction. Father, whatever it is about this woman's story that may challenge us by your Spirit today, you know the hearts of your people. You, you have tested them, Father, but I thank you that you have been faithful through it all. Father, you are good. We give you our church, we give you our community, we give you, Father, even as hard as it is to see in the days ahead, uh, Father, to see two of our young men going, as God calls Aaron, to India, and Nathaniel and family, to wherever you may call them in the coming weeks and months. Father, it's, it's hard to see that because we think we need help. Father, you bring that. Thank you for bringing so many faithful people to our church. Use us, Lord, for your glory. I pray for a one on Wednesday. Father, I pray as, as these kids share scripture that you would quicken someone's heart to believe the gospel. Thank you for Verlene and team. Pray for our Sunday school teachers, Lord. Father, as, as we go through the, the Bible step by step, as we teach that, that, that would saturate our souls. Father, I pray for, for just every person who works on everything in this church, and there's too many to list. Be glorified. May your name be lifted up. Father, if everything were to shut down today here at Tower View, you are still good. We thank you by grace. You haven't done that. You've called us forward, but may it be with the faith that we see so well in this woman. Faith not in ourselves or our schemes, but faith in what you can do. Father, thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.